A couple of quick things. Uh, you've heard a number of things taking place already. Uh, highlight a couple of things. Uh, Summer Kids Jam, just a reminder of that. Invite families you know with kids. It's just a great outreach into the community. Good way for you to be connecting with folks. So make sure you're part of that. Um, they mentioned, uh, 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 Dwight mentioned as well, the uh, meeting Tuesday night, church-wide meeting. Uh, I would encourage you to be there. You want to be in, inside scoop of what's taking place in the church. Tuesday night's it. Uh, we're going to talk a lot, a lot of things, just giving some back background information, but we're going to talk about some very strategic things, uh, some possible plans for this building, renovation type of plans, uh, some sort of strategic plans looking forward. Love to have you be a part of that on Tuesday night. All are welcome, and it's a pretty exciting, it will be a pretty exciting night. So hopefully that you'll be there, be a part of it, and uh, join in. Uh, welcome this morning specifically to any of our North Avenue folks who are here. Just passing this along, we found out this morning that North Avenue was broken into last night. Uh, and uh, some damage done and things taken, which made, made it impossible for us uh, to stream the service or do services there. So if you're here from our North Avenue campus, you're here part of the day-to-day, welcome. Sorry. Um, we'll working on that. Talked to Matt this morning. They're waiting for the police to come and work through all of those things. Everyone's safe, which is critical. Everyone's good from that perspective, but we're sorry to have that happen, but we're glad for any of you who are able to be here with us this morning. Now, today is Father's Day. Uh, and we, are gonna, we want to salute fathers and dads immediately, I say to you. Uh, happy Father's Day to you. I'll start with a quick statement, though, because I do understand, before I go any further, that days like Father's Day, days like Mother's Day, though they are fun days and great days for some of us, they are painful days for others. Uh, these kind of days for some of us remind us of the fathers that perhaps we didn't have, the fathers we wish we'd had, the uh, wish, we, wish we were a father perhaps, trying to have children. There's just a lot of emotions that come with the day, and it's not always the best of days. Maybe the father that you've lost, maybe an abusive relationship in the past. There's a lot of pain that can come with these days, so let me start by saying this. If you are in one of those places where a day like today is not a great day, that it brings up some pain or some hurt, I just want to remind you that our Heavenly Father is the perfect Father. He gets it all right all the time. And you can take whatever pain, you can take whatever you struggle with on this day or any other day, and you can bring it to a Heavenly Father that gets it right. And, and any time we need to remember that, but in these days specifically where it can bring out some raw emotions for folks, I just need to remind you, God knows, God cares, and your heavenly Father gets it right all the time. In fact, we're going to talk about that a little bit more today in just a couple of moments. But today is Father's Day. I want to do a quick salute uh, to fathers. Uh, first of all, I want to show you a little video clip, and this little video clip is to salute all of you dads, younger dads, that are getting it right even when no one watches or no one knows or sees. Uh, a quick video salute to you. Oh, no. Not, not this one. This is the grand finale of this. Yeah, that's the last one. That's what I was wondering. I don't know what they're going to do next season because they did some stuff this time. Exactly what I was thinking. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Don't bring that again. You know what I'm saying? Don't do the same stuff. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I was thinking that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Like go somewhere else with that, but don't break here, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's what I said, Nene was like, ah, you know what I'm saying? And I was like, what in the world? But don't do that here, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we think a lot alike, huh? <laughs> That's crazy. Right. <laughs> so, for, <laughs> so for you young dads who are getting it right when no one sees. You know, if you look at that, you see a dad watching TV with a son getting it right. So very sincerely, Dad, there are so many times you're doing it, getting it right. No one sees, no one knows. It's those little things. Job well done. Uh, I look at dads today, I look back in time and being, being a pastor for many years and doing multiple Father's Day, uh, being a dad myself and growing up in a family with a dad, uh, parenting has changed and I see so many dads today that are so engaged like never before. Those are little examples of it. So dad's job well done. But I also know that we have dads here, fathers that are not young dads. They're not little kids at home or even kids at home, but adult children. So for you veteran dads, uh, this video my wife sent me said, this reminds me of you. So here we go. Salute to the older dads. Dad comes to relax. So for you dads that go to visit and can't sit down, good job, well done. Uh, see, what I see in that picture, I don't see a dad doing everything, I see someone else sitting there doing nothing. That's what I see uh, in the picture. I see someone cheering on the team while dad's cutting the lawn. But that's kind of how that goes. And so dads, uh, we very sincerely salute you. And this morning in our message, I'm not going to talk to dads, so I am going to use the moment to talk about parenting. I want to use the moment and talk about parenting. Um, parenting has changed. Now, stick with me for a little bit here because some, immediately some of you will check out going, ah, I'm not a parent. But just stick with me for a couple moments and I'll kind of frame this in the right way. But let's be honest, parenting has changed. I look at parenting today as my kids are now parenting my grandchildren. And I look at the day that we parented and things are radically changed. I then think back to the time um, when I was the child and my parents were parenting. Things have changed. Let me give you just a quick example of something that changes. Again, my wife sent me this uh, comparison of moms now versus moms then. Moms now. The word, that word is inappropriate. Moms then. Say that again and I'll wash your mouth out with soap. <laughs> now, just so you know, I'm going to give a little comment on some of these. I got to tell you, the soap thing worked as one is a recipient of that. And I would say this, if you ever go back to that, it doesn't poison your kid, doesn't kill them. And ivory soap has a very delicate flavor. Uh, I've, just, I've just learned that's a better taste. Uh, good job trying one bite of the dinner that I made. Now you can have your mac and cheese. 
You'll eat what I make whether you like it or not. There are starving children in the world. I don't know how many times I sat at that table and heard, you're going to eat what we made, period. And there are starving children in the world. And I would have been happy to share my food with them if someone just would have taken it and passed that along. Third one, I can see you're upset. Take a breath and use your words. You better stop crying or I'll really give you something to cry about. Now, I don't exactly know what that meant or what my dad had intended, but I knew that whatever he was going to give me was going to be worse than what I was crying about. So it really did work. Last one, you can walk, you can't walk around the block by yourself. I'll drive you and then text me when you need a ride back. You want to go out, take your bike and be home before dark. (laughs) That was the norm. Man, I'd leave the house all day, be gone. I just knew to be home for dinner. And, and my mom, my mom could whistle. My dad couldn't. My mom could whistle. Two fingers. I mean, I can't do it. But we all knew, the whole family, we all knew. We'd be out playing. And when you heard the whistle, you better get home. You know, my mom knew how long it took to get from the end of the street to the house. Whistle, furthest point, you get home. So it is a little different. So when our daughter, our, our middle daughter, named Dana, she was younger, uh, speaking of riding bikes and, 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 or not riding bikes, the day came when she came and said, um, can we, I want to, all our friends are going to ride our bikes to school. So this is the first time they're doing the bike riding thing to school. And we talked it through and said, yep, you're, you're able to do that, ready to go. We just talked about this. We were laughing about it just this past week. And so we got her all ready. I got the tires were filled with air. Chain was oiled. Uh, had her helmet ready. The big day, we're out there watching her. She gets on her bike and she says, goodbye. She's gonna, everyone's going to meet up at the corner. And she goes down our driveway and goes to the right. And immediately I go, Dana, because left is the way you're supposed to go. <laughs> Dana! And she stops and goes, where are you going? And she goes, I don't know. <laughs> it's that way. Okay. And off that she goes and she did just fine. But parenting has changed. No doubt it has changed. We have more to contend with today than I think ever before. I see that in my own life that we are, my, my, my children now raising our grandchildren have more to contend with in a different way than we had when I was a kid growing up or even when my kids were young. Now, I want to go through some parenting thoughts today, and I don't have time to go through every aspect of parenting. Maybe someday I'll do a whole year-long or 10-year-long series on parenting. Uh, It would be exhaustive, but I finally feel like I've gotten to the place where I can be an authority, only to realize I'm no authority at all. But today I want to address this idea of how to be a parent, how to be a parent that the kids will love. Now, as we're talking about being a parent that they'll love, I do need to start by saying to you, first of all, that is not the goal of parenting. The goal of parenting is not to be the parent that they love. The goal of parenting is not to be the parent that they like. Our hope would be that they love us. Our hope would be they even like us. But I can also tell you at times that that just isn't going to happen. And that is not to go along the way. We'll talk about what that goal is as we, as we walk through this this morning. Now, the question I would pose to you as we begin is how do you bring the best out in children, in your children? As a parent, how do you bring the best out in your children? But immediately I recognize that we're not all parents here. And not only are we not all parents, some of us don't want to be, some of us do want to be. Others of us are parents, but our kids are grown up and mean well out of the house and grandparents, in fact. So let me change the question a little bit because I don't need you checking out on me here. Because the question of how do we bring the best out in your children, let's just change it for some of you to say, well, how do you bring the best out in anybody? 
How do you bring the best out out of a wife? Bring the best out of a husband? How do you bring the best things out of a boyfriend or a girlfriend? The best out of parents? How do you bring the best things out of a boss or an employee? A classmate, a coworker, a teammate? Just so you know, the principles we're going to talk about today are the principles that fit in every single relationship. So don't you dare check out because what we're going to talk about today are some, are some employing some biblical principles in relationships that today specifically I'm going to apply them to parenting. But just so you'll know, every part and every relationship is a place where every one of these foundational principles apply. So this morning, let's jump in and talk about some foundational parenting principles, but please know they, would, they fit in every relationship. Parenting today is a different beast. It is such a different place. So let's just jump in right away uh, and start with some questions and jump into the first principle. So if you're going to help someone, if you're going to bring out the best in someone, if you're going to build into someone, if you're going to build into parents, a spouse, whoever it may be, if you're going to build in, then where do we start? Let me give you biblical principle number one. The first principle is it begins by accepting their uniqueness made by God. The health of any relationship, the health in parenting with a child is the the starting place, is accepting their uniqueness, recognizing and valuing this um, incredible design that God made them, their individuality, the uniqueness as a person. Every child, every person is unique, is different, and special. That's where we start. Now, to start off, let me jump in and specifically start by talking about one of the most misunderstood and most misapplied verses in the Bible, and it's a verse that specifically has to do with parenting. This verse has been, through my years of ministry, I have seen in talking to countless parents, talking to multiple families, has been probably one of the most misapplied verses in the Bible, and it's all about parenting. Here it is, Proverbs 22, verse 6. Start children off in the way they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. Some of you that grew up in the church maybe heard it from the King James. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, that verse seems really straightforward, but make sure you walk with me here. A lot of people here think that this verse means this, that if I raise my kids in the right way, if I raise my kids in a godly way, then when they grow up, they're really going to love God and they'll never turn away from God. That's how they interpret that verse. And just so you know, that's not true. That's not true. You see, every single one of us know all sorts of kids who in the process of being raised, they were raised in a good home, in a godly home, in a great home, who along the way took a hard left turn. Along the way took a hard right turn. Sometimes took a U-turn from God and sometimes never came back to God. And we sit there and we think, well, how can that be? And this verse, though we read it and we want to say, if you get it right all along the way, then guarantee they're going to turn out right. I'm sorry, that's just not true. Now, this is a very important verse about parenting without question. Very important verse. But it's really critical that you interpret it properly and understand it correctly. The first thing to remember that this verse is not a promise, it's a proverb. This verse comes from the book of Proverbs, not from the book of Promises. So remember that. You see, God does not promise if you do it just right, they'll always stay straight and true. That is not a promise of God. It's a proverb. Now, what is a proverb? 
Remember that a proverb is a generalization, a generalized statement about life that is generally true. That's a proverb. A proverb is a statement about life generally true, but it doesn't mean that it has no exceptions. Generally, it's true. If you raise your kids in the right way, generally, in a godly way, generally, most of them are going to turn out right. But that's not a guarantee. That's not a guarantee that they're going to turn out right. Well, because it's a proverb. It's not a promise. That's a starting place in understanding it. And most of us begin to get that. Because we all know instances where we, it, it's been done right by every visual idea. It's been right, been right. But what happens to that child? Well, don't forget, every child, young and old, has a choice to make. And what they're going to do with God. And so... It can't be just applied that simply. That's the first thing. Now, the second thing that comes into this play is that we need to understand the original Hebrew phrase in the way that they should go. Now, remember, the Old Testament's written in Hebrew. New Testament's written in Greek. And it's really important when you are studying the Bible to look at the specific language used and to make sure that we're getting it exactly right. Now, when you give a biblical translation, it, it's right and it gives us a good overall view, but oftentimes there are some nuances to the specifics that are critical to understand. And this is absolutely the case here. In the Hebrew, this statement and the way that he should go or the way that they should go, referring to children, actually translates like this, literally in Hebrew, according to his way. Train them up according to their way. And when they're old, they will not turn from him. Train them up according to their way or according to his way. Now, that Hebrew term, according to his way, has three very distinct applications. Listen to them real quickly. It means that you train a child up according to the stage of life that they're currently in. That means according to their way. You understand the stage of life that they're in. Second thing, application, it means you train them up according to their personal strengths and their abilities. The third thing, it means you train them up according to their personal style, the uniqueness as to how God has made them. Let me real quickly flesh those out for you so you get a, a better understanding. The first one, it means that when you train up a child on the, in, the, uh, in the right stage in which they're in, training up a child the way they, that they should go means that I stop and I understand that children at all different ages are all different. And I have to apply what I give to them at the stage in which they're in. You don't treat a preschooler like a grade schooler. You don't treat a grade schooler like a teenager or a teenager like a college student or a college student like an adult, a full-grown adult. You don't do that. You understand where they're at. There's an appropriate amount of learning and responsibility that should, that should take place in a child's life at every stage of their life. Now, one of the problems that we face today that is in our culture, our culture is pressing in harder and harder for kids to grow up more quickly than they should. Now, I, I want to be careful about this because I'm, I'm a little slow to say the culture's doing this because if you're going to do that, you have to define who the culture is. And I'm not exactly sure who the culture is. But culture is forcing them down a road of growing up far more quickly than they should. Now, very honestly, when I was a kid growing up, it was not nearly the issue as today. Why? In our house, we had a little black and white TV on a stand. I remember when dad brought home the first color TV and it still fit on the same stand. And when I grew up, we had three stations and they stopped broadcasting at midnight. 
At midnight, if you stayed up long enough, you could watch the national anthem play at midnight with a picture of a flag. And at midnight, there was no television left. It was just done. And so you went to bed. As I got a little older, Friday night had the late, late show, the late, late movie. So after the news at 11.30 on East Coast time at 11.30, the movie would start and the movie would go to 12.30 or 1.30. So that was like really living on the edge because the TV, and, and at 1.30 you could still stay up and watch it. But the bottom line is that that's what we had. That's the only media influence we had virtually was the television and it had three stations. It was highly regulated and it ended at a certain time every day. Today... The trashiest thing, the trashiest things, the things that you had to go to the darkest places in the cities to find is now a push of the button away on your phone. And if your kids have a phone, they've got access, access to every trashy thing in the world. Now, I'm not saying don't have your kids have phones, but of course, if you're a parent and your kids have phones and you don't have, you don't have some tight restrictions, shame on you. But it's different today. It is so different today. This idea of what's appropriate in learning and responsibility, you are pressed today as parents because the whole world is knocking on the door in front of their computer. We still remember in our house the first day we had a computer. And even when we had our first computer when the kids were young, we still remember that the acts, we, were, we were scared of the access they could have. And even then, it was so guarded because they had to go on you know, AOL and dial-up. And if we didn't like the access, just pick up the phone and shut down the computer. Not today. So you have to be aware of where they're at in the stage of life. That's what it means. That's what it means to, to understand where they're at in that stage and give them the appropriate learning and responsibility according to where they're at. Culture is forcing them, and parents don't give in to that culture where we're allowing them to know things, to see things, to hear things at earlier and earlier stages of life. Young elementary school girls do not need to dress in suggestive clothing as if they're in their 30s or as if they're in college. By the way, if you're in 30s or in college, you shouldn't be dressing that way either. <laughs> but young girls shouldn't be dressed like that. The stuff that is now commonplace, now commonplace and allowed to be seen by young kids on television, movies, computer, is damaging. And parents, if you're not stopping in this, if you're not stepping in to stop it, it's not getting stopped. But beyond those type of things, we look at the tasks and the jobs and the responsibilities that a child should and could have, and we do that according to where they're at, according to their age and their responsibility. At a very young age, my kids had the responsibility of going and serving me drinks and potato chips because they could handle that responsibility <laughs> early in their lives. We, we figure out those things. Let me give you a second application. This idea of training them up in the way that they should go means this, that we train them up according to their strengths and their abilities. We train them up according to what they're good at. Parents, it means for us this, our job is to discern in your child's life the strengths and their capabilities and then to help them go in the direction which is already where they're strong at, strongest at. We help them go in the places in the directions where they're already good at that. Go in the direction that they should go, not the direction you want them to go, but to allow them to go in their direction. Let me give you a third application it means. It means training up according to how God made them to be. We train them up according to the uniqueness as to how God made them. In other words, 
Their temperament and their personality should be what kind of dictates how we then lead them and how we direct them as they grow up, a direction that fits with them. You're never going to take an introvert and make them into an extrovert. I mean, they can act like an extrovert, but it's still not who they are, understanding who they are. We've just come out of a week of vacation with all of our family home. So at our house, we've had for the most, most days seven, seven grandchildren there. And it's been fun to watch. I can compare my own children. Now I can compare my grandchildren. And it's fun to watch all seven of them there and to see the uniqueness and the difference, differences in each one of them. Our two youngest ones, I'll use them for a quick comparison. Our two youngest grandchildren, one's three and one's two, but they're only a couple months apart. And we have a pool in our house. And so the fun thing is to go swimming. And it's always warm. Grandpa likes it warm. Grandpa doesn't like it fresh, refreshing. You know, um, Diane will go in and go, ooh, I like the water to be refreshing. I don't want to go, ooh, that's refreshing. I want to go, oh, this is sweet. That's what I want. And so we keep it warm. So even the bad weather this week, the kids could swim. I'll compare these two. The oldest one, the three-year-old. Her idea of swimming is putting on a life jacket making sure it's super tight, and then sitting on the edge of the pool and dangling her feet into the water. That's swimming. If, you, if she comes and says, I want to go swimming, you go, yay, you suit her up. She runs right to the edge, puts her feet in, her feet in, and that she's just fine doing that. Her counterpart, who's, you know, two, a couple months younger, two and a half, two and three quarters, her idea of swimming, she's not swimming unless you're grabbing her and throwing her 10 feet in the air. I mean, quite literally, yeah, you pick her up and throw her, and she goes in, and she, she goes down three or four feet, pops back up, of course, and every time she comes up, she's got this look like you're sure she's going to come up spitting and choking, but she has learned along the way to hold her breath. She goes up, she goes down, she pops up, she's got this look like you're sure is a problem, and it's like, again, and you do it again. And every time you come up, she's got this look like you're sure this is it, and it's again, again. And if you stop, then she's forced to entertain herself. So which means she gets up, she runs into the edge, she just takes a dive deep in, goes under, pops back up, goes to the edge. In fact, at one point we sat there, we were watching the kids going, let's just see how many times she can do this in an hour. Because she doesn't stop. Now here's the key point of this. We didn't do anything different with either one of them. It's not like we took the three-year-old who was scared of the water and said, nope, you're going in, and we threw her in. We didn't do that. And yet, for one, just as content to put her feet in, the other one, she's not content unless she's bouncing off the bottom and back up again. How do you account for that? They're just different. They're just different, uniquely made. Each has their own style. Quick survey here. How many of you have grown up with a brother or a sister? Okay. How many of you would say that I and my brother, my brother and my sister, we are distinctly different in most ways? There you go. Proof positive. That we're all so uniquely made. Train up a child in the way they should go means that you understand the stage of life that they're in, you understand their strengths and abilities, and you understand their personality. You don't parent them to fit your mold, you parent them to fit into their mold. The uniqueness of how God made us, and then how he sees us, and then how he uses us according to his power and his gifts is a basic biblical principle. You get that, right? That the way that God creates us and then uses us according to his spirit is just the way that God works. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 6, there are different kinds of workings, but in all of them and in every one, it's the same God at work. 
It means that in the church and in life, there's different people and we do different things and God works in different ways. But the bottom line, it's all God working through us individually and differently. Man, life would be boring if we were all the same, right? No variety, no versatility. In fact, the other thing would be a lot of things wouldn't get done. Because if we're all the same, you know how we all do this in our lives. I focus on the thing I really like. And we stay away from the things that we don't like. So if we're all the same, there's a lot of stuff not getting done. But the beauty of it is we are not all the same. Parents, one of the greatest responsibilities of parenting is to help your kids recognize and appreciate their own uniqueness. They don't have to be like anyone else. Parents, this is no easy task in our culture today. Today's culture, perhaps like no other time, is putting pressure on your kids. Pressure for two specific things. Pressure for your kids to conform and pressure for them to compare. One of the greatest things you can help your kids know is they do not have to conform to everyone else and they don't have to compare. In fact, Galatians chapter 6 verse 4 says each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Don't conform yourself. Don't compare yourself to others. Don't conform yourself. Don't compare yourself to all the cultural stuff of this world. We are unique. And you are unique the way that God made you to be. Now, this next statement is directed to a very, very, very small segment of parents. But I still need to say it. There's a key. There's a key test you can take to see if you really have accepted your, your kid's uniqueness and you can tell if you've accepted them for who they are and that's when you stop and you realize that you're no longer trying to make them look like you. When you're no longer trying to get them to be like you, then you can say, I think I've accepted their uniqueness. You see, for some of us, you need to know that your goal in life is not to make your children into miniature yous. Yous. Doesn't sound right into miniature versions of you. That sounds better to me. That is not your goal. That is not your purpose. God only needs one of you. And trust me, God only wants one of you. And when it comes to them, God only wants and needs one of them. Uniquely made the way that he made them. Don't make miniatures. Make them who God made them to be. Accept their uniqueness. That's the first step to great parenting. That's the first step in great relationships. Let me give you a second principle, and that is affirm their value. The second principle in, being great, in great parenting is accepting or affirming their value. Why is this important? Because every single person, kid, teen, young adult, middle adult, older adult, every person here starves, starving for affirmation. We starve for affirmation. I've never met anyone who doesn't need, want, and appreciate some word, some statement of affirming them. Now listen carefully. When you affirm someone's value, you actually reflect to them God's view of them. Do you realize that? This is why it's so critical. When you affirm people's value, whether it's your child, whether it's your spouse, whether it's a coworker, whether it's the person waiting you at the restaurant, when you affirm their value, you actually give them a glimpse as to how God sees them. Don't miss that truth. Matthew 10, verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. 
Let me give you a picture here. From this verse, we have a a, a great picture from God. I know it's Father's Day, but Father's Day and Mother's Day, as I said earlier, for some of us remind us that we didn't grow up with perfect parents. Some of us grew up with parents that really did not get it right. Accordingly, there are some of us here today, some of us listening in, who have battled our whole life with our self-worth and our value. Because we did not have parents that affirmed our value. So let me just set the record straight here. God values you more than you can imagine. God sees you as worthwhile and worth it. God custom designed you. Before you were born, God had a purpose for your life. And he's the one who created you on purpose and with purpose. He saw you as so valuable, he sends his own son to die for your sin, for your failures, that you could be made whole. Psalm 139, for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. God knit you together, you are his masterpiece. So how do we value our kids The same way that God values us. I'll give you a couple of quick snapshots from Scripture. Matthew chapter 10, we just read this. It said that God knows the details of your life down to the very point that he knows how many hairs are on your head. Let me tell you one of the ways that you value someone. You value them by paying attention to the details of their life. See, that's what God's meaning there when he says, listen, I know the details of your life. Doesn't that speak volumes when you listen You want to value your children, you pay attention to them. You pay attention to what they're saying. You pay attention to what they're going through. You notice them. I can't tell you how many times in our marriage where Diane had said to me, what did I just say? Uh, Something about the car. No, I'm not talking about the car. Okay, I I had a shot at the car. What else could there be? Why? Because I'm listening. But it goes beyond listening in a conversation. If you want to show someone you value them, listen, you just flat out notice them. You notice their life. You notice what they're going through. You want to value your spouse, your coworker, your friend? Pay attention to the details of their life. That speaks volumes to them as far as your value of them. Another way that you can show people that you value them is by showing them affection. Hosea chapter 11, verse 4, I drew them to me with affection and love. I picked them up and I held them to my cheek. I bent down to them and I fed them. I don't care how old your kids are. They will always feel better. They will always feel affirmed and valued when you show them affection. Hug them and hold them. Even as they get older and they go like this to you, do it anyway. And in fact, if they do this to you, look at them and say, listen, especially if they're in middle school, I'm going to hug you in front of your school, in front of your schoolmates. And they'll say, okay, hug me right now in private. It works. Hug them and hold them and affirm them. I get the fact that for many of us, our parents are gone. But even as a grown man, when my mom or my dad, before they died, would come here to hear me preach and say, I am so proud of you. Or my mom would walk up and just give me a hug in that moment. As a grown man with children, it says something to me. Value them. Show them affection. 
Isaiah chapter 43, 4, since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations I will give in exchange for your life. I love this. God says you are so precious to me. You, I love you so much, which gives you a, a third way in which to apply this, va- this piece of value, and, and that is simply this. Tell them. Tell them with words. I appreciate you. I love you. You mean the world to me. Say it with words. Write it in notes. How often? At least daily. I mean, no one has ever said, oh, you say it too much, and if they say that, they don't mean it. You show them affection. You value them. That's the second principle. You value them. Let me give you a third principle. Of how to be a parent they'll love. How to be a person that people will love. Third value, third principle is this. Trust them with responsibility. The third one is trust them with responsibility. Nothing brings out the best in someone than when you say to them, I believe in you. And I'm going to trust you with something. That speaks volumes. Luke chapter 16, verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little also is dishonest with much. The picture there is, as you give trust and they prove that they can be trusted, it builds more and more, you give them more responsibility. Now, responsibility is not only a part of growing up. Parents, please hear this. It is the way that helps them grow up. Responsibility is not just part of growing up. Responsibility is what actually helps them growing up and pushes them to grow up. Now, parents, remember this because too many parents believe this next statement. I'll trust you when you prove to me that you can be trusted. Wrong. If you take that approach, you will never trust them because we always blow it all along the way. So if you take the approach that says, well, I'll trust you when you prove to me you can be trusted, that's the wrong approach. Here's the right approach. I will trust you until you show me that I can't trust you, and even then I'm still going to trust you. But we'll maybe ratchet down a little bit of the responsibility, but even then I'm still going to trust you. I have seen this throughout my life, being trusted with little things and then greater things. I've seen this in my life where people have spoken into my, into my life and will look at me and say, I trust you. Uh, I believe in you. And see the powerful effect that, ha- that that has. Parents, the primary place and maybe even the only place for young children where they learn responsibility is with you. Remember in my first church, Diane and I went there. We were young. We were just married. She's 20. I'm 22. Uh, I had all sorts of responsibility as, a, as the associate and then uh, very quickly became the interim pastor, which we didn't anticipate. So now I'm 23 and, and she's 21, 23, a church of what, 500 people. Um, and we were asked to be the interim. And man, this was over my head. And the leadership of the church sat down and said, just so you know, if we didn't trust you, we wouldn't ask you. So we believe in you. Go lead us. (laughs) Well, okay then. Doesn't that work? When someone looks at you and says, in the impossible task in front of you, we believe in you. Folks, that is so powerful with your children. It's so powerful with your spouse. It's so powerful with other people. Parents, that primary place of learning responsibility is with you. Now, parents, let me give you a key tip here on this area of responsibility and trusting your kids. You're going to put, you trust your kids, and you're going to give them responsibility, and they will fail. They are going to blow it, and they're going to blow it at times royally. They will, quote, unquote, let you down. 
they will break your trust. When they do, your love for them does not change as you make sure that they take responsibility for their broken responsibility. Now, I want to talk about that for just a moment. You see, I see so many parents through the years of doing pastoral ministry, I've talked to too many parents, I've been in too many situations where their kids do some horrendous things. Now, maybe some older kids and get in trouble with the law, do some horrendous things, and they blame their kids' failures, and they blame their kids' wrongs, and they blame them on everyone else but the kid. It's the school's fault, it's the teacher's fault, it's the neighborhood kid's fault, it's the police's fault, everyone else's fault. Don't do it. I've been called to too many cases through the years with a, with, a, with a son or a daughter in jail and the family's a wreck and they ask me to come by and I stop in and sit down and then I hear them go off about it's not their kid's fault, it was the people around them, blah, 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 blah. And I get to the place, uh, in the years of ministry where I stop and say, hey, you know what? I'll come back when you're ready to face the truth. The truth is your son did it. Your son did it, period. That's the truth. See, if you don't embrace that, then you are not teaching that child responsibility. Now, I will say this. There's times for explanation, but explaining things isn't excusing things. Oftentimes, even my own kids say, well, what happened? And they'll give me an explanation. I go, okay, that explains it, but it doesn't excuse it. You can explain things, and you can, your kid can be in a situation where they explain all the circumstances went wrong, but at the end of the day, it doesn't excuse anything. Parents don't excuse it. Our responsibility as parents is to teach our kids responsibility, and we do that by giving them responsibility and then having them own their responsibility even when they blow the responsibility we've given to them. They'll blow it. They're going to. But failure is a part of, of life. Parents, don't overprotect them. Don't keep them from failure. One of the greatest life skills that any child needs to learn is how to fail successfully. And failing successfully is not getting out of the failure. Failing successfully is how to recover from the failure, how to own it, and then press forward. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16, even, good, even if good people fall seven times, they'll get back up. But when trouble strikes the wicked, that's the end of them. It's talking about a character issue there, and it says this, even good people will fail, but you know what they do? They own it, and they get back up. Add to that Galatians chapter 6, verse 5, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. Parents, don't let your kids blame others, and don't you blame others. Trust them with responsibility, and then make them responsible. Let me give you a fourth principle. Fourth principle for great parenting is this. Correct without condemning. This can be hard. Correct them without condemning. Every one of us needs correcting in our lives. That's why these principles apply in every relationship. In every relationship, there's times where we say things or do things where we need some correcting, but we correct without condemning. Kids desperately need discipline in their lives. Loving discipline, firm discipline, of course, there are some out there today, I've had debates with them that say, kids should not be disciplined, you just kind of let them go, and they'll work it all out. Um, friends, discipline are the guardrails of life that protect your kids, and so we discipline. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 18, discipline your children while there's hope. I like that. Otherwise, you ruin their lives. Which means there's a time and a place where they're younger where you better be disciplining them because it's the hopeful years. Add to that Proverbs 13, verse 24. If you love your children, you're going to correct them. 
If you don't love them, you won't correct them. If you love your kids, you're going to discipline them. It's that clear. So, of course, we discipline them, but we do so very carefully. I'll give you two key tips here. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Let me give you two tips. Uh, If you don't want to exasperate your children, you know what that means, right? You don't want to irritate them and get them frustrated. That's not our job. If you don't want to do that, if you want to help them in the discipline process, then two things. Number one, you never correct in anger. You correct in anger, you're just going to create some problems. So parents, you take a breath and calm down. Second thing is, you watch your words. We all know that anger takes us places where we do not want to go, and we all know that it's in the angry moment, words come out of our mouth, listen, that you can't take back. The problem with words is that they mean something. And the second problem with words is once they're out, there is no putting that genie back in the bottle. And so we are careful. Now, we all know words are powerful. We all know that the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, is the greatest lie ever told to mankind. And we've all heard it, but it's not true. They do hurt. Words can be especially damaging coming out of a parent's mouth. So we are very careful that we don't do things with anger, correcting without condemning. Discipline, firm, lovingly, and appropriate. So about a year ago, we're at our, our son and our daughter and son-in-law's house, Pennsylvania. They got three young girls, beautiful girls, sweethearts. And uh, we were down there for about a week working on projects. They, at that point, the youngest one's in a crib, so she goes to bed pretty quickly. The other two go to bed, but it's probably quite a process getting them to bed. You know, it can be a bit of time, and they keep coming. It's kind of funny. You know, our kids are the same thing. Kids come out of bed, and so you'd be sitting there, and you'd be an hour process time where they'll come out, and they come out in different things. I need a drink. Got it. I forgot to tell you I love you. Got it. I forgot to tell Grandpa I love him. Got it. Uh, what do you need this time? Uh, I forgot. Um, okay, get back to bed. Oh, I remember now. They come back out, you know. So we're watching this, and we're watching our, our kids. Are, they're exhausted because, you know, that when the kids finally go to bed, that's kind of parents' time, you know, and they're exhausted. So we're talking. I said, listen, you got to be firm here. You got to kind of lay down the law. Now, I'm, I'm Grandpa, but I'm trying to be helpful, you know. I said, you got to lay down law. You got to say, hey, no more. So you got to be firm with something. And so the firmness is, okay, you come out again. We're taking a stuffy away. Now, that might not seem like much, but if you're a child that loves stuffies, it's a big deal. Like, okay, we'll do it. Be firm, do it. So come out, and you go, hey, get back in bed. Don't come out again. I'll walk you in. But you come out again, taking a stuffy away. You go, not my stuffy. Just stay in bed. It's that simple. Sitting out there five minutes later, out they come, two of them. That's it. Taking the stuffy. You know, not the stuffy. And, you know, the world's falling apart. You know, not the stuffy. And crying and tears. Oh. But, you know, you sit there and so you're telling them, stick with it. You're going to win this battle, you know. Take the stuffy. So the, the, it kind of works. So instead of two minutes later, it's five. They come out again. Another stuffy. Another one. Not another stuffy. You know, so we go through this process, but it begins to work. And I'm saying to them, yeah, good job, be firm, you know. I'm saluting them. They're like, yeah. But I'm also grandpa. I'm not proud of this. <laughs> so the next day, <laughs> um, I gather up all the kids' stuffies. And I line them up in each of their beds. There's probably like 15 to 20 stuffies. 
which means if they go through the same routine and they keep taking the stuffy, one stuffy at a time, they got 20 trips before they get down to zero. And so I put the kids in bed. I said, listen, psst, you got lots of stuffies all lined up. Now, just so you know, I went talk to the parents. I said, I couldn't help it. I have the stuffies lined up. But they really like, you stick to your guns, you're going to be okay. But I'm still a grandpa. I still want them to go through the pain. But you know what? Next night, maybe one visit, and they begin to understand the principle. So when we discipline, we don't do it with anger. We find the ways in which to do it, which is firm, which is loving, not condemning. Let me give you the last principle we wrap up. It's pretty short. Last principle for great parenting, you love them unconditionally. You just love them unconditionally. There are two basic ways that we love people unconditionally. And we see it in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. There's two ways, two ways that you love people unconditionally. First one, you forgive them as God has forgiven you. Anybody here have, have a perfect life here? Anybody here has nothing that God needs to forgive them of? Well, then think of the people who've hurt you most and forgive them the way that God has forgiven you. And the second way that we love unconditionally is you never give up on them. You forgive them as often as they need it, and you never give up on them just the way that God has never given up on us. You see, the Bible tells us that love has no limits, that love has no end to its trust. Love has no fading of its hope. Love, you know, outlasts anything, including the failures of people in your life. Love outlasts all of that. Five principles of great parenting. Five principles of great relationships. Accept their uniqueness, affirm their value, trust them with responsibility, correct them without condemning, and then love them unconditionally. About 15 years ago, a news magazine decided to figure out what it costs to raise a child financially. What's the actual cost to raise a child? So they went and they added up every dollar amount that they could come up with to make sure it was accurate. They accounted for food and clothing, housing, shelter, medical bills, education, secondary education, the gas in the car driving. They looked at all the stuff that you pay out of pocket, looked at the stuff that the government provides through school and lunches, everything they could put into the mix. They came up. Grand total, $1,455,581. The price of raising one child, $1,455,581. Now, for some of you who don't have children yet, you're going, uh-oh. Well, don't give up. That's accounting, of course, every single thing that could be out there. They also found, watch out, interesting, that girls cost 18% more than boys. I can explain that just in my house looking at shoes. Just shoes accounts for that in a heartbeat. But now listen very carefully. But the real cost of parenting is not financial, is it? The real cost of parenting is emotional. That's the cost. It's emotional. Parenting is the roller coaster ride of life that never stops never stops. Up and down one moment, you're so proud of them, you just can't wait to hold them and squeeze them to death. The next moment, you're so frustrated with them, you can't wait to get a hold of them and squeeze them to death. It's just a, 
it's just a mix as to how that thing goes in parenting. My wife doesn't like when I say this. I said it in a message years ago, but I'll say it again. As you're a parent, you realize once you have children, you'll never be happy again. <laughs> and if you think about it, you know exactly what that means. Once you have children, your happiness is no longer contingent just on you, is it? Man, everything can go perfect in your life, but if one of your children are in a bad spot, your happiness is contingent on them, right? Because you're always a parent. Now, in a crowd this size today, there are parents here, people in relationships, in very, every different place on the roller coaster ride. Ups and downs. Some frustrated, ready to pull your hair out. Some just worn out. Some worried. And some very much afraid for your children. Some hopeful and as excited as you could be for your children's future. Some here with broken hearts. And some here with hearts that are just bursting with joy and anticipation. Some sad. Some of you ashamed. Some of you absolutely just broken. Some excited and hopeful. Others feeling hopeless. Wherever you're at, I want to remind you, your heavenly Father knows and you can trust him. He's ready to help. And he always gets it right. So let me end by giving you my last bit of advice on great parenting. Here's what it is. Proverbs 14, 26. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress and for their children, it will be a refuge for them. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children, it will be a refuge. Do your kids have a safe refuge, a place of security? What gives them that? It's pretty simple. A parent who is sold out to Jesus Christ, sold out to following God. Now, there are some of you who just heard me say something I didn't say. Some of you are thinking to yourself, wait a minute, did you just say that a person can't be a good parent unless they're a follower of God? No, I did not say that. So don't hear something I didn't say. What I said, actually what God said is this. The parent who is totally sold out to God Parents who bring God into their lives. Parents who bring God into their homes. Parent who bring God, parents who bring God into their families offer their kids a refuge and a safe place under the loving care of a heavenly father in a way that earthly parents cannot bring. Because let's be honest, folks, there's a whole bunch of stuff in this world that's out of my control and out of your control and out of their control And when you bring God into the mix, you bring them into a secure place where they can say, but I have a heavenly father who's in control. I would also say this to you, perfect parents don't exist. Even Christian parents are not perfect and they don't get it right. Parents who have given their lives over to God, parents like me, who've given my life over to God, still blow it. And so even more so, I recognize that I need a heavenly father who is prepared to clean up my messes. 
I have a heavenly father because I'm following him that when I mess it up, I've got a God who says, Scott, I never expected you to be perfect. I am. I've got this for you. And so please know, you can be a great parent and not believe in God. But I would suggest that when I give myself wholeheartedly to him, there's a stability and a strength and a support that you just don't have without God in your life. One of the greatest things that you can ever do as a parent is to give your life wholeheartedly over to him. Now, with God as the perfect father, I say to you as an ending, happy Father's Day. Your father is in control and you can trust him with whatever it is you face. Let's stand, let's pray. Father, thank you for these truths today. We look at the pages of scripture and just what jumps off the pages are all the things, all the attributes as to you as, your, as, as our heavenly father and the things that we can apply. I don't expect that any person here is, is, is taking down everything we've said and will use everything, but I do believe the way your Holy Spirit works is that every person here through your spirit may have heard just one thing where they go, that's what I needed to hear. That I can apply. That fits in my life. Thank you, Father, for being the perfect heavenly Father. We so desperately need you to be just that, and you are. And we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Father's Day, and God bless you.